0: Start the week with Tim and Damo on the Unmade Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Unmade Podcast. I'm Tim Burrows. And I'm Damien Francis. You're listening to Start the Week, where we explore Monday's big breaking media and marketing stories and look at the agenda for the coming week.
0: Coming up today, our media gets into e-commerce, Adland exits Russia and the new TV battleground. Um morning, Tim. Uh, it was a, a good weekend despite all the, the rain in Sydney. You know what? If you want to put a pool in your backyard, Tim, it can cost you $100,000 potentially. $100,000. I've got one for free, for free.
1: <laughs>
0: Beat that for a weekend. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I just think that uh, my whole idea of spending a week in Sydney was an incredibly bad idea. <laughs> Turns out it really was. Yeah, so I'm now going to get on an aeroplane later today and go back to London where it's uh, wet and rainy all year round. Um, but we should get into it. Uh, first topic, demo.
0: Let's do that. Our first topic today. R Media and Jane Huxley has come out in the AFR, this one courtesy of Miranda Ward, uh, speaking about the next plays for the publishing business and what to expect from them. E commerce was one of the big talking points, unsurprisingly. Tim, uh, what did you think of that one?
1: Yeah, so uh, look, we have to think about our Media kind of in the round, I suppose. Of which the bit you can't forget is, they're owned by private equity who did not have to pay very much for it. So this is Mercury Capital. Um, so that's a plus right from the start is they can run the company for profit and gradually work out what to do with what is very much a struggling in the traditional revenue streams, medium and magazines. Um, so selling on the newsstands, selling through circulation, And uh, advertising revenue have been the main three, which is something that Jane Huxley talks about in the interview with the AFR. So part of it is they have bought the e-commerce platform, Hard to Find, uh, which isn't the Biggest, it's a it's a gift platform. Um, they haven't said how much they've paid for it, but there is a clue saying that our media is committed to investing $20 million in tech and infrastructure over the next three years. So whether that means 6 or $7 million a year, I don't know for sure, or $20 million per year. My, sus- my suspicion is that it's actually the former. Looks like they're mainly getting hard to find for the technology behind it because... You know, be something they can roll out to their own platforms and then looking at hard to find itself. So this article lists its founder as Erica Stewart. And I did find myself thinking um, it all looked a bit familiar when I looked at hard to find. It really reminded me of the store, which was Fairfax Media's attempt um, back in, oh gosh, 2016, to get into e-commerce, back when Fairfax's newspapers were in a similar situation of not really knowing what to do, and casting around for new revenue streams. And at the time, um, the person in charge of the store was Trudy Jenkins, um, who went on to be a co-founder of Hard to Find, although um, she left I think a couple of years back so isn't mentioned in in in, in, in this this article so um I don't know Damo you reckon it'll work look e-commerce
0: and publishing is, is nothing new really is it we were just talking before off air about the fact that uh, there was Marie Claire at the the published conference that that me and you were involved in uh, a few years ago 2019 pre-pandemic and the whole session there was talking about e-commerce. You know, I've been following Future Publishing Australia, which is part of a big global publisher, which if I'm honest, we expected, the employees certainly expected at one time that maybe it wouldn't last too long in Australia. Those were the ways that the winds were blowing. Uh, But in 2021, uh, they picked up Mozo. Um, which is an Australian Comparisons uh, website. And that was one of a, a few e-commerce plays that they've uh, been making. So it's certainly not a new thing. Um, you know, Jane's got a tech background. You, you alluded to it a little bit in terms of the, the Fairfax uh, work that she'd done previously, but obviously she was running Spotify locally um, prior to joining R. Uh, I think it's necessary, but it's not, uh, it's not mind-bending news. This would be
1: expected, surely. Yeah, look, I tend to agree with you. I mean, you you know, you, you, you can't blame Jane Huxley for being late to the party because really there were, for, certainly for for Bauer Media, which which is now our media, there were 10 years of not very much development. So, yeah, welcome to the party. It's quite well established at this point with lots of, you know, very, very well entrenched retail players. But when your main Business is printing and selling magazines. You need to look for something new. Next, Rethinking TV Audiences.
0: Unmade. The total TV numbers came into uh, the limelight again this uh, morning in a story from the SMH and Zoe Samios uh, discussing the fact that while the uh, terrestrial TV numbers uh, are generally a bit lower these days compared to what we uh, found years ago. That's been more than made up with the total TV viewing numbers and that means of course uh, catch up BVOD, uh watching it across uh, across the internet than's newfangled technology. Um, Tim, how is this affecting the industry uh, and what are your thoughts on on it being back in the spotlight again?
1: Well, a couple of things, I suppose, you know, it's obvious from this piece, this isn't an actual data release as such. It's looking at numbers that already existed um, and then the organisation supplying them is a TV marketing body in Think TV. Uh, But putting putting the best foot forward, I think what Think TV is really trying to do is, change or or evolve the conversation that happens at the moment each morning about TV ratings where um, each morning the email comes out from Oztam, which is the, 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 the sort of neutral body that helps measure the ratings, and the first number that comes out is the overnight ratings. This is how many people watched it on broadcast or up until... I forget whether it's one or two AM or whatever the cutout period is, alive so or nearly live, um, and that's only part of the picture. Now, and sometimes the numbers are, do increase more. Now, one thing that I have noticed about this um, piece today is this is very much Think TV putting its best foot forward. So the the two examples it uses are both reality shows, Married at First Sight on nine and Australian Survivor on 10. Now Married at First Sight is a brilliant example and I'm sure I use it myself at some point where it accumulates an audience and it does feel that reality is good at this because there's enough buzz that people think afterwards, oh I really should have watched that, you know, just to to see what all of the outrage and fuss on social media was. So some of the data that Zoe Samuels uses from the Sydney Morning Herald, um, points to Married at First Sight, which started off with an overnight metro audience, so in the five capital cities, of 869,000 on what they call linear TV. But by the time you add in regional viewers, digital viewing uh, on catch-up television, um, uh, people who caught up later on connected televisions, etc., the number eventually went up to 1.9 million, so a much higher number. So that's one example. Now, that's probably quite a good example, but is the absolute standout. You know, I bet there's not a single series which has done better than that uh, in, in, in adding to its numbers. And then the other example is 10, Australian Survivor, Blood versus Water, Um, And if you've been watching, Dame, no spoilers, please, because I'm several episodes behind at the moment. I'll I'll refrain. (laughs) Now, um, Zoe makes the point in her article that it's been averaging about 500,000 metro, but those figures triple when audience watching through catch-up are included. Now, I have a bit of a theory there, which is a slightly more unhelpful one, I suppose, for the TV industry. Um, there, there is a big international fan base for Australian Survivor. Um, and I have a rather a suspicion that a lot of people are using VPNs to appear to be watching from Australia when they're actually watching from somewhere else in the world. Now, that one of the reasons I say that is there's a big... Australian survivor, well not even an Australian survivor, there's a big survivor community on Reddit and that community lights up with contributions around the world very shortly after each episode has been broadcast which you know I must admit I uh, certainly when uh, I'm I'm watching in real time I tend to go and read, read those contributions myself so there absolutely are Survivor fans in other parts of the world watching very shortly after broadcast. So I'm not sure that that number is necessarily a number that local advertisers can rely on as uh, being people they want to target. Um, so, hey, look, that's, that, that's a hunch. I can't quantify it, but that is my suspicion. I mean, slight
0: aside. I'm one of those people who watches on on the the, the Bvod uh, Solutions Nine now and and uh, etc. Ten Play. I'd love it if they could get the ads running smoothly during those uh, those telecasts. That that would be fantastic.
1: Yeah, look, one of the things to, I guess, to the defense of all of the broadcasters is they're all gradually getting better. And if you think about it, I think actually amongst the main broadcasters, and I'm going to leave SBS out of this, 10 was the, the one to go first. And now when you compare it to the others, or certainly until recently, it was the most frustrating viewing experience. The ads would crash in, they'd the same ad would repeat again and again and again because they didn't have enough inventory. But gradually what happens is each new player who comes into the market puts it on a slightly more robust platform which plays a bit better, starts to sort of deal with things like frequency capping a bit better, all the things that advertisers insist as it goes mainstream. So I suspect that uh, quite quickly it will tidy itself up because it will be expected of the networks not just by the viewers but by the ultimate customers the advertisers
0: coming up next the shifting sands of the streaming wars
1: Un-made.
0: tim we're going to discuss best of the week where you talked about the streaming wars in a bit more detail particularly when it came to fetch and foxtel where do you want to start with those two there were two very interesting topics there
1: Oh yeah, the reason I'm sighing so is is on the question where do you want to start? Because there are there are so many ways into this at the moment. Because I guess television is shifting so fast at the moment, you know, as we've just been alluding to, including how we think about television. Um, but I suppose. I'll point to the two things I've been thinking about a lot over the last few days. And as you say, I write about in um, Best of the Week on Saturday, which if you've not seen, if you go to unmade.media, you'll be able to read it there. Um, yeah, two big developments. I was thinking firstly about Foxtel and whether their hope to float on the ASX is going to go ahead. I doubt it is. I think we've just reached the moment where they've missed their moment. And then the second topic, uh, the second development this week was what looks to be reliable reporting that Telstra seemed to be in the late stages of acquiring a majority stake in Fetch, which is the aggregated streaming solution, which is run through uh, boxes and has something like just under a million subscribers at the moment um so um should we start with foxtel let's start with foxtel yeah so foxtel um majority owned by news Corp, with telstra as the second player uh the long challenge for foxtel has been it's a legacy way of providing television now at at, at one point it was it, it 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 was right at the front of the technology chain when it firstly launched her broadcast and cable broadcasting, then digitized and was a real innovator, but fell behind when streaming launched and when streaming began to go fast as subscription services driven by the likes of Netflix and Stan locally. Um, and that was a real challenge for the legacy Foxtel product which was more expensive uh, but had lots of subscribers so Foxtel was quite slow launching into the streaming space but has since been catching up so ko for sport binge for general entertainment uh flash is much newer and is much more niche in news and we'll probably see another entertainment offering uh, a documentary offering etc coming quite soon the issue being, though, that the Foxtel as an organisation has a couple of billion dollars in debt. Now, one of the things that takes the pressure off is, in large part, its existing shareholders, and the debt holders, um, which, um, arguably, depending how you look at it, helps or hinders. But the big question is, could Foxtel get the sort of valuation, let's say it floats a third of um, the shares in the company, that actually makes... It, it' worth doing um, at an appropriate at a valuation, and my 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 guess, having having looked at where their numbers have been going over the last two years, is is no, not least because in recent weeks, Netflix announced that they were going to be investing a lot more in content, and their share price fell. Uh, what the company that's now paramount global was Viacom cbs announced they were going bigger in that share price fell um we saw itv the british commercial broadcaster do the same thing last week share price fell so set market sentiment around streaming and the cost of being a player in certainly in the content side of streaming is falling So it feels like they have to think about something else. And that's tricky because I don't know what that something else is. So so that's part one. And then I suppose the bit that intermingles with part one with the common factor of Telstra is fetch.
0: Well, the common factor of Telstra and also, as you were saying before, the common factor of of content, but looking at it from a, a different perspective this time.
1: Yeah, so so I guess Fetcher's thing is it's slightly simplistic to describe it as Switzerland, but it, it it's kind of a neutral party. It, it tries to be a good faith player with all of the streaming services, with all of the existing free-to-air players. So the idea buying that if you're a member of the public advisor, fetch box, then you're able to uh, basically put everything through the one box. It's got a good navigation, so you're not constantly switching between inputs. And all of those all of those other things, which seem to make modern life more complicated at the moment, if you uh, if you'd like to watch anything beyond broadcast television, as it as it comes out over over, over the aerials, um, so that's been, I, I guess, slow and steady would be the way of putting that over the years. Um, if this deal happens, it would it would firstly mean that Fetch was then engaged with all of the major telcos because up to now um, Telstra had been the holdout. Probably because of the Foxtail connection, or maybe because it had its own play with the Telstra TV box, which was based on the um, Roku. Roku device. Yeah, which um, which obviously isn't formally marketed in in the Australian market as a result. And I think that arrangement is due to come to an end fairly soon. So so it's it's certainly Telstra changing horses in terms of from Roku to Fetch. And then, of course, the question is: Could it mean a change of horses um, in terms of moving the relationship from new, away from News Corp with the joint ownership of a um, Foxtel? It would be interesting whether the A took a view on it. Could that change the competitive situation of Telstra? I'm not sure. I need to think that one through. Um, clearly, it would mean Telstra has. You know has a horse in both races but would it be dominant uh, not not sure but it just says something about how quickly things are moving that you know this was this was just the news out of midweek
0: coming up next adland exits russia unmade news over the weekend is that WPP is exiting Russia it comes amidst a backdrop of other networks being asked the same question and suggesting they are thinking about Accenture uh, as a consultancy not just the uh, creative component has also decided to exit Russia pretty heavy topic uh, Tim and probably more movement to be seen coming up Uh, what are your thoughts on this
1: one Yeah, I mean, it it certainly looks like all of the global holding companies are going to need to find ways of dropping business in Russia because, you know, these sanctions are only going to become more and more significant rather than less. Um, It's such a difficult one, isn't it? Because if you're one of those organisations, then you have relationships with clients, which are often global. Now, presumably... The expectations of the clients for global representation have just changed as well, because of course they'll be in the same reality. But you also have responsibilities to thousands of staff who, even if they're well looked after with uh, redundancy payouts, etc., are still going to lose their job. Um, So that. That is the kind of reality.
0: And in this case, it's um, sorry, uh, it's a thousand four hundred people, I believe, in WPP I- in Russia. Uh, there was a good report from the Drum, uh, Sam Bradley, who wrote that one, who uh, was suggesting that uh, some of those people may shift to to other WPP roles. But but it's a large number. Uh, on the scheme of things, though, that's not actually huge in terms of some of their other global offices. Russia's not a massive play uh, for WPP. Reuters was reporting uh, Russia was something like 0.6% of global revenues minus pass-throughs. And it seems like that's uh, true for a lot of the other networks as well. Russia, large uh, country uh, by size. Uh, and by by population in sense, but in terms of advertising business, not as big as you might think. Uh, But I think you bring up a very good point there in terms of those follow-through effects of what does this mean for the clients who may be dealing uh, with Russia as a large part of their business, perhaps? Are we having those same standards going through to the clients as well? Because in my mind, that would make a much bigger difference to some of these
1: networks as well. Look, I suspect that at the moment it's suspend all activity, uh, just because there's the reality of everything is is you know right at, um kind of peak uh, confusion at the moment. I it'll be interesting to see which of the holding companies absolutely and irrevocably exits versus those that try to create a sort of a standstill or a suspension in the, in the hope of getting back in in some way. Um, I must admit, I feel a slight sliding doors moment as well. Um, when I, uh, earlier in my career, I'd been in the Middle East, doing the Middle East franchise of, uh, of Campaign Magazine, which is the UK advertising magazine. And shortly after I finished that one and went to the UK, I was offered another... Um, launch editorship of campaign which was um, campaign ukraine covering campaign ukraine and russia Um, and i you know i I can remember having some very strange practical conversations about the fact that i didn't speak russian and this would be the language the publication would be in and was this a problem and being told no no everything will be translated for you Uh, and then uh, the editorship of uh, B and T magazine in Australia came up, and uh, in the end, that was the first one that was on the table as an offer. So that was the one I took. But, uh, but yes, I do. So you would have been
0: Ukraine based rather than Russia based. I would
1: have been Ukraine based. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. So I do. Yeah, feel a little little sliding doors moment at this point as a relatively newly minted, minted Australian citizen.
0: Well, we're happy to have you here in Australia for the next uh, twelve hours or, or so, anyway, and and then you can fly back to the UK and avoid uh, Russian airspace.
1: <laughs> yes, as I as uh, as we speak, yes, you're, you're you're right. It is probably about twelve hours, a few more hours in Sydney, and then a quick touchdown in Darwin, and uh, then uh, then off we go. Before we go, this is your almost final reminder. To celebrate Damien's arrival on board the Unmade team, we've got a special offer. And thank you, by the way, to people who did uh, register for this offer last week. We saw that some of you did. You'll find the offer at unmade.media forward slash demo. Demo is spelt the traditional Australian way, D-A-M-O. So unmade.media forward slash demo, and you can save 60% on the price of an annual subscription to Unmade reducing the price from the usual $650 per year to the special price of 260 But you've only got five days left to make use of it. Go to unmade.media forward slash demo and save.
0: That is it for today. There'll be another edition of the Unmade email on Wednesday and the next edition of the Unmade podcast will drop on Thursday with a further chapter of the audio version of Tim's book, Media Unmade.
1: And for anyone who's listening this Thursday, I'm so sorry. I completely forgot to upload it. i better go and catch my flight. Hopefully you enjoyed today's edition of our new Start the Week podcast. We'd love to hear what you think. Just drop us a line to letters at unmade.media. That's letters at unmade.media.
0: Today's podcast was produced with the usual enthusiastic support of Abe's Audio. See you next time.
1: Toodle pick.
0: Unmade.